see any similarities in our lives uh, as we see a, a positive reaction to him finally being called out to God by God and when he stops running uh, the difference that it can make in each and every one of our lives I do want to offer up a special prayer right now too for uh, Rudy Casillas's mom uh, who has some uh, major health issues uh, reoccurring cancer uh, please be with the family be with her be with the doctors and uh, just uh, God guide those that are working to help her uh, restore her health it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Find my remote here. There we go. Well, as you know, last week, uh, and we're already having issues. It is on. Well, if I, I can get you to hit the next slide there for me, uh, Sherwin. Let's see if we can go back one. Thank you. We had uh, the uh, title of our... Uh, series that we're doing is Everybody Runs. Last week it was the race you can't win. 
Uh, this week it's insights from an insider. And uh, next week we have Everybody Runs. We have a bunch of different testimonials. Martin Chires will be coming out to preach. And then our final one in the series is a matter of great concern. You know, Brian hit a number of things last week that uh, had to deal with what running can look like and the impact that it can have on our lives. Next slide. There we go. Uh, one of the things that can happen when we run, we lose sight of really the proper priorities in life. We can lose sight of our relationship with God, and when we run, we can run to some places we never ever in a million years would have anticipated. And then things start to happen. Things can fall apart. We, uh, based on decisions we make, we can hurt those that are cl- we are closest to. The thing that's incredible about it, and we'll see that again in even greater detail today, is that the bottom line with all of that is God is here for each and every one of us. He's there all along. You know, what we're going to do is uh, take a look at what can happen when we quit running from God and embrace the kind of life that God truly has prepared for us, that God has created us for, if we're willing to slow down and re-engage Him. You know, Jonah was a prophet, and a lot of us, when we think about prophets, we think about people that predict the future, but generally speaking, they were individuals that came forward with God's Word to help people get back on track. And... Usually the prophetic portion of it was, if you don't turn back, here's what the outcome's going to look like. And this is exactly what Jonah's charge was. Jonah had been given an assignment to go to Nineveh and bring a message of repentance, and without that repentance, a message of destruction for the Assyrians. You know, Brian talked about the uh, amount of uh, distance that was covered. I've got a little map here that uh, I'm going to show you. Just kind of put in perspective, I'm kind of a visual person, so this really helps me. But uh, Brian had mentioned that he was sent from Joppa to uh, Tarsus, or excuse me, Nineveh, which you're dealing with about 550 miles. So needless to say, he went a little bit out of his way to blow off the direction that God gave him. 2,500 miles. Needless to say, you know, they didn't have jets back then. Transportation was a little bit more precarious. I, I can't even begin to imagine. It's like, dude, just... 10 miles, man, in the other direction. I mean, you know, a little distance if that's what you're needing, but he obviously had no interest in doing what God had called him to do. Obviously, took the long route here. And we, we know that with that, as he got on that boat, getting back to what Brian talked about last week, sometimes the decisions we make can really have an, an incredibly negative impact on those around us. He got on this boat to flee. The sailors that were involved were trying to figure out what the heck was going on. They ended up jettisoning their cargo because the storm was so bad, the boat was going to go down. And eventually they drew lots, and then it fell to Jonah that he was the individual that had this sea all stirred up. And it was kind of comical how that all went down. I mean, these guys, you got this man of God, supposed to be preaching the word, supposed to be representing who God is, and based on his disobedience to God, put them in jeopardy. And, and they're even wrestling with, okay, this guy's God's man. What's going to happen to us if we throw him overboard? I mean, them even wrestling with really doing the right thing there. Well, we're going to go ahead and pick up here today in Jonah 1, verse 14. It says, so they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you please. And I've got a little uh, humor I wanted to start off with this morning uh, when it comes to Jonah, something I came across that I found rather interesting. There's a young lady who was part of a uh, Christian school, and she ended up transitioning into a public school. Her name is Sally. 
And uh, Sally was transferred again, and then on her first day in class, the teacher introduced herself as Mrs. Crump. And she informed the class that today we're going to study zoology. And with that, the first subject we're going to study are whales. Does anybody know anything about whales? No hands went up. Eventually, Sally decided that she was going to go ahead and raise her hand and engage the classroom at this point. So she raises her hand, and Mrs. Crump calls on her. So Mrs. Crump says to Sally, Sally, what do you know about whales? Sally said, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Mrs. Crump said, that's nonsense. Throat of a whale is too narrow to swallow a man. Where did you get such a foolish supposition? Sally paused for a moment. And then responded, well, that's what my Bible says. Mrs. Crump's response was, very sternly, your Bible is wrong. As I said, a whale's throat is much too narrow to swallow a man. So Sally thought for a moment and then said, well, I guess I'll have to wait until I get to heaven to ask Jonah what happened. Mrs. Crump thought she'd be smart and asked Sally, well, what happens if Jonah isn't there when you ask? Then Sally paused for a moment, and then she said, then I guess you'll have to ask him when you see him. <laughs> well, let's give Sally a hand. <laughs> you know, Brian mentioned this whole whale thing last week, and, uh, you know, I, I like Brian. I do take God at his word. But I do find it helpful if there's any form of empirical evidence that may help my posturing when it comes to things like this. So, I did a little research. Now, I, I don't know about you, how many of you are totally familiar with what it is that swims around in the Mediterranean Sea? We got any experts? I'm a fisherman, I like knowing what's in the various bodies of water that are out there, so I did a little Google search. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Next slide. Well, you got to love technology. There we go. Well, these are actually the uh, different things we're going to be covering today. God listens to the prayer of a runner. God is generous. Um, we'll tag those as we go through them. <laughs> that, that's fine. We can, we can stick with that one that you just pulled up, Sherwin. Well, again, there's our uh, <laughs> points this morning. God listens to the prayer of the runner. God is generous with his grace and thrilled with his discipline. To run from God is to run from his care. And then finally, God is a God of second chances, it's time to vomit. Those are the four areas that we're going to look at here today. But getting back to the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, there you go. may not be able to read that, but uh, in doing the research on this, I went to a, uh, a, a site that was entitled Insights from an Insider Search for Bible Truths. And this, this Bible group sets out to prove things that people try to disprove or take issue with when it comes to the Bible. And I found this kind of interesting. It says, Bible critics, when considering the account of Jonah, mentioned that there is only one type of whale that could have swallowed Jonah, the sperm whale. And even if a whale could have swallowed Jonah, there are no whales in the Mediterranean Sea, which is where Jonah was swallowed. Again, this is uh, from a website that's current entitled Search for Bible Truths. Well, it's kind of interesting, uh, in this next picture, can anybody tell me where that is? What well, is the Mediterranean? 
That's the island of Crete. There's a, uh, it's called the Grecian Trench. It's some super, super deep water off the coast there. And they have their own genus, uh, genus of sperm whale. You can uh, check this out. Uh, who's the group that, uh, where did I find this? The group that actually pulled this information up. It's actually the uh, International Union for Conservation of Nature who has identified the Mediterranean sperm whale. Now, though, there may be some of you that take issue with the whole whale thing because the Bible says it's fish, right? Most translations, I think King James is the one that finally tweaked it and said whale because obviously what kind of fish could swallow a man? Well, we know that sharks are a species of what? Fish. The only difference that differentiates them is cartilage versus bone. So, there's another little interesting species that has been sighted in the Mediterranean. Have you heard of the megamouth shark? Uh, it was first sighted in 1976. There's been about 30 sightings or catches since, but they average around 20 feet in length, and you know, obviously the mouth, the name kind of summarizes what they might be capable of doing. And they, they have, uh, and getting back to the whole Mediterranean thing, these things were actually observed, there was a mega, mega mouth shark that was observed being attacked by a sperm whale and, uh, off the coast of Italy, and as it swam away, I guess it was a little bewildered. The individuals that saw it, there were some teeth marks on it from a sperm whale. But anyway, so it's interesting. You have people making definitive statements about what isn't there that anybody can find on the Internet. I, I just love the fact that, you know, you know, I like this. That totally makes sense. But even... If it didn't, I mean, honestly, is all this really important when you get right down to it? Probably depends on who you are, but Bible, the Bible says, a couple different translations, God appointed a fish. God prepared a fish. Now, I know when I prepare a fish, it's usually going on the barbecue, but uh, evidently he gave us some very specific direction. And I mean, honestly, if God wanted to, couldn't God have created a one-time fish to exact the influence and the impact that he wanted to have on Jonah. But it's amazing sometimes how we can get caught up in the minutiae and lose sight of what God is really calling us to. God is our creator. God is in control. God's a loving God. And with that, I don't ever want to find myself in a position that uh, Job was found in Job 38, verse 3. And, you know, Job was starting to get a little beat down, was having some issues, lost... His family lost his wealth through the flocks that he owned and, you know, had some friends that weren't the greatest when it came to getting in there and trying to encourage him and help him stay on track. And he starts doubting at one point. I mean, his wife even tells him at one point, why don't you just curse God and die? So with his mindset, God engages him in Job 38, verse 3. I can't even begin to imagine what this must have sounded like. Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundation? Or who lied its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy, where were you? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its blanket? When I determined its boundaries and I put its bars and doors in place? When I declared, you may have come this far, but no farther. Your proud waves stopped here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning 
or assign the dawn its place? Doesn't that kind of put it into perspective? Can any of us claim to have done any of these things? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at a man through God's eyes, God's story of a man who ran from him. You know, the bottom line is at one point in time in our lives, each and every one of us have been runners, just like Jonah. And there comes a point in time where we all end up having to face the music. You know, we all have areas of life that we're willing to let God in. I mean, all you got to do is take a look around this morning. Everybody here was willing to give God at least 90 minutes this morning, right? So we're, we're willing to let God in. Are we in agreement on that? But how about other areas of our lives? You know, maybe there are times where we become more selective about God's input. You know, God doesn't really need to be involved in this business proposition because I've got a couple of things that if maybe they were to come out, this whole deal is going to fall apart. So God, uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of sift this one out. You know, today you're in the right place because the bottom line is everybody that's here today, we're surrounded by runners. Maybe God's not your thing. Maybe you haven't signed up. You're not sure about God. But you notice that there's more and more compromise in your life and that you're violating your own standards today. You know, I swore up and down, I would never do this, I'd never go there, I'd never be involved with this. And then you start to convince yourself, well, it's not that bad. I mean, look at, look at this guy over here, man, that's bad. Or look at this woman over here, I would never do or say what she's doing. And then we, we start to adjust our belief system. You know, late night when it's just you and you, and you're kind of mulling over your day or different things that have gone on in your life, and you know things are not just right. You know, some, it may be a matter of you're running from God until you get married. You know, once I get married, I'm willing to engage God. You know, who, heaven knows we need help with the marriage, and if we have kids, we're going to need help with the kids. So, you know, after I get married, I'm ready for God. Some of you may be more short-term. You know, I, Steve, we got spring break coming on. I, I mean, I, I got some things I want to do. I got some places I want to be. I want to have a good time. So, you know, after spring break, I'll quit running. I had a situation years ago where uh, my wife had a Mustang, and it had kind of the funky, you know, the, 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 they were just ugly, man, the factory rims. <laughs> and this was before we were Christians. I was actually studying the Bible at the time, and there was a friend of her sister's who... Uh, Basically told me, he goes, dude, yeah, I can get rid of those ugly rims for you. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what, what'll it cost me? He goes, 100 bucks. I'm like, well, what am I in for 100 bucks? He goes, I'll get you five spoke Fittipaldi's, the racing tires, the whole bit for 100 bucks. Brand new. So, you know, on one hand, I'm whoa, that's a screaming deal. You know, and we had just gotten through kind of doing the whole light and darkness study, you know, Galatians 5, kind of lists out the sins and all that. <laughs> Actually, it was like a, I did the study a day after, and he was going to hook me up that weekend. Man, should I just wait until I get baptized here? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, needless to say, I, I knew it was wrong. After seeing the application of Scripture, I had to call him up and said, you know, dude, I, I pass. And, you know, he, he, it's like, dude, what are you, you crazy? What are you thinking? But, you know, they're, they're, these are the things that can happen. I, I was thinking about <laughs> running to, to get those wheels. 
But honestly, it would have been worth it. You know, in Jonah 1, verse 17, the reason now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. This is one of my favorite parts right here. 2,750 years ago, and it's been something we've all been saying ever since. You know, first lesson that Jonah learned when it came to his relationship with God and running was right here from the inside of the fish. When Jonah got out, guess what he did? He penned this. He wrote this down. Maybe he committed to memory, wrote it later, but he, he got it. When Jonah got out of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, prayed inside, and then wrote this on down so we'd have it to look to today. See, God listens to the prayer of runners. Jonah 2.2 says, he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depth of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You know, people haven't changed. When we're in distress, what do we do? When we're in despair, what do we do? I mean, there's agnostics that have been known to pray. I'm one of those. You know, you're in a, you're in a bad situation. You cry out. You know, maybe it's after being devastated from finding out that you're pregnant when it's the last thing that you wanted to do. What do you do? You cry out. And you go buy a few more pregnancy tests to make sure the first one was right. Hoping that it was wrong. Maybe it's a matter of something's happened and now you're sitting in the back of a patrol car. And you cry out. You know, your parents found that little baggie of oregano in your drawers. And your parents aren't as stupid as you thought. And you cry out. You know, I look back, and each of these different situations, it's not just a matter of being at the rock bottom of things either when it comes to life. You're successful. Your life is great. You've got a great plan. You're tracking success. But there seems to be something missing. And every time you think you arrive, it feels like there's still something missing. And every once in a while, you know, you, you feel it, it's nagging, and you just kind of brush it off and hope it go, it's going to go away, but there's something missing. And I look at our success before we became Christians, Jackie and I. Four years in our marriage, we're on the fast track to success. Uh, I was moving very quickly through the ranks of the second largest Ford dealership in America. Uh, it had become the number two man. One of the GMs laughed about the whole situation. I thought it was kind of cool. We had two owners. One of them was on safari in Africa. While he was there, the other one gave me a shot. And that really opened the doors for all kinds of financial success, uh, a management foundation that enabled me to go on and do much greater things within the industry. Jackie, within the uh, clothing merchandising, managing, managing departments in Nordstrom, working at the Calmart, being a buyer. I mean, everything that she had planned, everything that she went after turned to gold. Two years into that marriage, we committed adultery. Neither one of us knew it. We did know the marriage was incredibly dysfunctional. I had a two-year-old that was using the F word. It wasn't because of his peer group. Well, I guess you could call it his peer group. It's because of mom and dad. Stuff that he heard, stuff that he picked up on. We were running. You know, on the outside, we looked awesome. I was agnostic. I just didn't feel like there could possibly be a God that was over what I perceived as this horrific mess. And Jackie, various Christian churches, both grew up in major denominational churches. It's just everything seemed to fall short. But, you know, without a whole lot of introspection looking at ourselves. 
1991, we went into the full-time ministry. We became Christians in, in December 10th of 1990. And from 91 to 2003 in the ministry, it was absolutely phenomenal. We enjoyed it. We loved it. We really found like God had really granted us our true purpose in life. 03, things got a little uh, funky, a little political, and uh, we decided that we would go self-supporting. We uh, picked up the tab for our own ministry, leading our ministry in uh, 03 through 2010. But it's interesting. I didn't really even realize this 100% until I talked to Jackie about it last night. When it came to even getting back into the ministry, from 2003 to 2010, I was running. I didn't trust God. I trust people even a whole lot less. And so we, we got down here and interviewed with a number of you sitting in this audience today. And the, the words of my mother-in-law always resound in my head. This woman is, is just so intuitive, so spiritual. But it was interesting. After we had, I had moved to Denver, I was getting, getting situated, loved the fact that housing was half of what we were doing here, was going to be making the same amount of money up there with all kinds of additional doors that would open. And Jackie's mom said this one, maybe God just wants to see if you're willing to give it up again. See, I was running. Maybe God wants to see if you're willing to give up whatever it is that's keeping you running from him. See, no matter how smooth or slick or careful you are, we all respond the same once our backs are up or against the wall, once we're caught. You know, verse 2, we see it with, with uh, Jonah. He's on the verge of dying. What did he do? Cried out to God, and God heard him. And why was he where he was? You know, was it the sailors? Bottom line was, it happened. It was part of his own creation. It was his own doing. He went after things. So I think for us today, one of the things I want to put out there is that ask for the insider's insight. We get this from Jonah. Next point here this morning is God is generous in his grace and thorough in his discipline. John, Jonah 2 verse 3, it says, You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the quern swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You know, it wasn't about the sailors, wasn't about the storm, wasn't about the fish. God was behind the chaos. God was behind the calamity. God wanted to get his attention. You know, what do you think happened once Jonah was in that, or in, in that position where he's about to get thrown overboard? You know, what did it take for him to tap out, to repent? You know, was it day two in the fish, day three in the fish? You know, I have a feeling when somebody had his arms and the other guy had his legs, and they were doing the heave-ho, one, two, before they let him go, he's thinking, God, help me! It didn't take that time in the belly of the whale, but that time in the belly of the whale, or fish, was the thing that got him to really start assessing his life. I don't know that I'd want to be in that situation to you know, start thinking about whether or not I'd made any mistakes or not. But even in that moment where we had that momentary time of sincerity, God is listening. God hears us. And you might wonder, why would God hear us? Why would God listen? Because God never stops listening. Again, God is a generous God. He's generous with his grace, but he is thorough with his discipline. Here's the bottom line. You can run from God. Can you outrun God? No. And God demonstrates this kind of love throughout the Bible. It's a steadfast love. It's a love that waits for however long it takes. It's the kind of love that cares enough to discipline you, not to pay you back, but to bring you back. So let, let that sink in for a moment. 
Because the next time, you may actually consider doing something about it, like changing your mind and stop running and come back to God. Proverbs 3, verse 11 reads, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. You know, Jonah discovered that God's discipline is thorough. In verse 4 it says, I have been banished from your sight. Jonah thought this was the end. I can just imagine this, man. This fish swallows him and, you know, probably held his breath for two reasons. One, he knew it was going down into the water and didn't know what that was going to look like. But two, it probably smelled pretty bad. He goes, man, I held my breath. I kept my sanity. I was stretched beyond what a human can survive. And again, how long do you think it took for Jonah to come to his sentence, senses? Three days or three seconds? You know, when Israel rebelled against God, 70 years in exile, I'd be willing to bet you seven days in, if not seven years in, they were ready. God, come on, take us back. But we can be hard-headed and hard-hearted, and it can take a while for it to really break through. And Jonah 2 verse 5 says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. You guys ever wait out in the ocean, you get some strand of seaweed that kind of wraps around your legs? What do you do? Kind of freak you out a little bit? I mean, I've seen people jump out of the water, ah! And they look down and it's, you know, a strand of seaweed. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth below barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. You know, forever is a long time. He thought he was done. He thought he, it was over. And the only thing that happens when we run from God is we waste time. Why? Because sooner or later, God loves us so much and wants the best for us so bad that there will be a wall that we can't get beyond, and we're going to have to actually face him. See, God's not sentimental, and he'll make us deal with our stuff. Israelites in exile from God, 40 years in the desert. They wasted 40 years in the desert when they could have walked in on the front side if they had just taken God's direction. David and Bathsheba. David had been where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing as a king. When kings go to battle, rather than being up on the roof, checking out the woman next door, look at the repercussions to his life and his decision. Our decisions don't only affect ourselves, they affect others. He didn't get slapped on the wrist. He lost his newborn, he lost his boys, he lost his kingdom. So, you know, when it comes to discipline, we may come away scared sometimes. I remember in the 70s, any of you guys remember these belts? Any of you remember those belts? I mean, they've kind of made a comeback. I had one. I wasn't really fired up about it, but I needed to keep my pants up, and everything had the two-inch wide things back in the day, the loops. It was a red one with gold grommets. I remember that belt. When I did something stupid, my mom didn't even have to tell me to go get it because I was wearing it. It'd be like, take off your belt! I'd be like, uh, 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 whoa, 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 hey, can, wait, 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 can we talk about this for a minute? I, I won't do it again, I won't do it again, I won't do it again, I promise I won't do it again. Needless to say, that didn't carry a whole lot of weight. My butt looked like bubble pack after that thing got through with it. <laughs> you know, that, when it comes to discipline, though, when I think of discipline, rebellion, pain kind of falls within that same realm. Rebellion always brings pain. You know, and sometimes circumstances may seem to be more than you deserve. God's discipline is thorough. You know, even as a parent with your kids, we've got to think through this. We've got to let them face the consequences of their actions. I've seen this in a ton of books I've read. I've got a 
30-year-old, how old is Stephen now? 29, 30. 30 this year, December. 29-year-old and a 26-year-old. You know, you're still a parent to your kids. Now they invite us in as consultants from time to time, but anyway. But you know, as parents, what do we want to do with our kids? Don't we want to rescue them? And um, we can step in, but if we do, you know what ultimately happens? We prolong their pain. I mean, Stephen, years ago, not that many years ago, I asked him what he thought we could have done differently as parents. And, you know, I think all of you know, he, there was a two or three year period where he left the Lord. And his whole thing was, we had protected him too much. He told me point blank, he goes, Dad, you didn't let me fall down enough. He goes, I, I, didn't, have, I didn't really have the implications I needed from some of the things that I would have done that would have helped me have a greater appreciation for God. And needless to say, when he got out on his own, Let's just say he understands the cross in a whole better way now. And I remember one of the situations we had with him when it came to discipline was his schoolwork. He had some issues. Um, I don't think I'm really hardcore. I'm not expecting a 4.0. But one thing I won't tolerate as a parent is a D or an F. I mean, you can get Ds and Fs not even attending class. And, um, you know, he had a car, and we told him, you know what, bud? A, B, or C, if you're doing all everything you can, you got this car. We're, we're good with that. But here's the bottom line. No D's, no F's. D's or F's, car's gone. And, you know, he reassured us and reassured us everything was cool, and we got a progress report, you know, incomplete homework. Um, there were some issues with his test. Sold his car. He was shocked. But you know what was amazing? All of a sudden, our son went from a kid with those D's and F's to a 3.0 plus student, and it didn't take any prodding on my part anymore. I was so glad that I didn't have to engage him on that level. So discipline has an effect, amen? Same way with us, we need to be allowed, as they need to be allowed, to experience the full consequences of our rebellion. And the blessing of God's discipline is incredible. And that we can run to God, or we can run from God, but when we do that, we run from his care, we run from his provision. He wants to provide for us. He wants to give us the opportunity to live life to the full. Grace, immortality, salvation. God paid a huge price at the cross. But we run because we think following God, you know, if, we, if I follow God, man, I'm going to miss out on something. I'm not going to have the kind of fun that I want to have. And as a result of running in all these different directions, what we really miss is the one relationship that we don't want to live without, a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So are you tired of running? Are you tired of resisting? Are you ready to right, wave the white flag of surrender? See, Noah, Noah got this, in jo or excuse me, Jonah got this in... Uh, Jonah 2, verse 8, he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Worthless idols. Now, grace in the Hebrew is hasid, which means grace, love, unconditional covenant love. It's a contract that can't be broken. And we forfeit all of that when we chase the things that we think are more important in our lives. You know, there was a young man that was in our singles ministry a number of years ago. This young lady was a uh, single mom, Linda Flores, and that's her cute little daughter, Kristen, there. And there was this brother I was studying the Bible with, young single guy. You know what his biggest thing was, the thing that kept him running from God? Sunday morning. You know why? NFL. <laughs> Not an exaggeration. My wife knows it. The thing that he, the biggest, now, mind you, didn't have DVRs back then. It wasn't as easy to record games, but... NFL Sunday mornings kept him from church. When he finally decided to surrender and quit running, 
This was one of the most memorable weddings I've ever performed. As Pierre Hernandez on his knee there with little Kristen, and he swore a covenant with her to love her for the rest of his life as if she was his own. It was one of the most, I mean, everybody in the audience was crying, okay? I know I'm, you know, whatever. I'm getting a little teary-eyed here. But it was amazing just watching her watch him and the relationship they have today because he quit running. Became a teen leader. He still leads a Bible talk. He's super involved on a lot of different levels with the youth and the church out there. But that's what happens when you surrender. That's the kind of impact and life of purpose that you can have. When it comes to that despair, you know, Satan has us believing if we pursue God, we're going to miss out. Jonah, after all his running, his choices, he had this moment of clarity. He realized what had happened. As runners, we no longer experience the love of God. It's there, but we don't experience because we're running from it, because we've distanced ourselves from it. And what he realizes, he, Jonah, had traded worthless idol for the love of God. Now, what are some of the idols we can be put before God? Think about it. There may be some in your life. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's position. Maybe it's the hours you spend at work. Maybe, whatever. Fill the blank. But Jonah could say, in your despair, do you cry out to the thing you pursued when you turned your back on God? Do you? Maybe you turned your back on God because of a relationship with Billy. So in your despair, do you cry out and pray to Billy? Maybe you've got a loved one that's sick. Who do you cry out to? Who do you pray to? And maybe it's a job and you're in despair. Do you cry out to that job or that situation? occupation, lifestyle, maybe you got a deal in the works, do you cry out to that deal in despair? Your standard of living? See, because in our despair, in our distress, we cry out to God. That's how we're wired. It's in our gut. It's in our heart. We know deep down the most valuable thing about living, the most valuable thing in this life, is we know our Heavenly Father cares for us and is looking out for us. So in your despair, you don't cry out for the thing you pursued when you turned your back on God. And just like Jonah, we eventually realized that what we were chasing was worthless. It becomes clear, just like it did with Jonah. Jonah 2 verse 9 reads, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. With all that, Jonah sacrifice, salvation. He wants to re-engage. He's grateful for what God has done for him, the way God has taken care of him. And you know that salvation doesn't represent just salvation. It isn't just heaven. It saves me from my guilt, loneliness, fear, purposelessness. It saves you from those same things. Only God can save me. And salvation is about so much more than just heaven. In Jonah 3 verse 1, it reads, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. The word of God came to Jonah a second time. What did he do? Verse 3, it says, So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk. See, Jonah got that second chance, and what happened? He took it. He took the direction. See, we can surrender. We can quit running 
and give it to God and be transformed. Isn't that repentance? Isn't that the purpose behind baptism? Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale, as good as dead, vomited up to a new life, a second chance. Isn't this a foreshadowing of what we have in Jesus Christ? You know, Jesus mentions Jonah a number of times in the New Testament. He makes some comparisons. With that, I want us to take a look at what this thing with Jonah is a foreshadowing of. Please turn with me to Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 1. If you could bring up that slide there, Sherwin, when you get a chance. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that this sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. You know, it's interesting. This is a message that Peter preached on Pentecost in Acts 2, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the most incredible sermons post-Jesus. And we can see what Matthew, Romans 6 is talking about here, this death, burial, and resurrection, a participation in how we get clothed with Christ, how we have our sins forgiven, how we can enter into a right relationship with God. You know, we think about Peter. What did Peter do when he was confronted on his knowledge of Christ? He denied him. But it's amazing that through all that, through all the shortcomings and the issues and challenges he had, Peter goes on and preaches this incredible message on Pentecost. Jesus lets him know, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. You're Peter. You're the rock. We see Paul duplicating that message in Romans 6. And really understanding that God is a God of second chances. If we quit running, he'll restore your mind. He'll restore your heart. No more mental justification, compromises, excuses. But there will be this willingness to have the humility to realize that, you know what, you may be wrong on your perspective. And you may be wrong on what God has in store for you in your life. God can and will extend second chances, but he can't give you the time that you spent running away. See, as a runner, you never get your time back. And God wants you to stop running. He wants to bring you back. If you've been running from God, decide today, I'm not going to run anymore. I'm not going to waste another season of my life pursuing something that eventually is going to lead to more chaos, knowing that at some point in my life, I'm going to have to stop running and surrender anyways. You know, decide today that you're not going to wait until you're in the midst of despair and have to abandon whatever it is you've dedicated your life to up to that point in the hope that God will hear your prayer. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. Some of you may be thinking, okay, who talked to this guy? He's talking to me. Well, that's not the case. You've had a storm. Maybe you've received the discipline from that storm. It goes way beyond that. The bottom line is we're all runners. And God hears you. But we've got to stop running to really engage him. 
Maybe you're not in despair. But you know, there's an emptiness that's in your life right now. You know there's got to be something greater than punching the time clock, climbing the corporate ladder. There's something whispering. There has to be more. Stop running. You know, man, the best gift that you can give your wife, you can give to your finances, your children, your friends, is to let them know you're not going to run anymore. And that today is going to be a, a marker in time for you where you decide to change. And, you know, you, you want to verbalize, but it goes beyond verbalizing. There's got to be actions that follow that. And, you know, if you don't know where to go, you don't know exactly where to turn to, there's more than enough people here that would be more than happy to sit down with you and share with you how God transformed them, their lives and show you the scriptures that gave them the ability to do that. For the women, doesn't matter if you're married or single. For those of you that try to control the chaos in your lives without God, decide to surrender the idol of control and cry out to God for hope. And trust knowing that he is a mighty and powerful God who is in control if you surrender. And then students, you know, when it comes to uh, rebelling against your parents, I know every single one of you can probably come up with 10 reasons as to why you're justified. And you may be. But you know too that you've rebelled against God. Vow that it ends today. That you will no longer cling to the worthless idol of independence and the worthless idol of acceptance, which is such a huge thing today, especially knowing the fact that these people you're going to school with, most of them you're not even going to see two or three years after you're out of high school. So you too, stop your running today. Let's go to the uh, final slide here. God listens to the prayer of the runner. We saw that today with Jonah, and many of us have already experienced that in our own lives. God's generous with his grace and thrilled with his discipline. To run from God is to run from his care. And God is a God of second chances. Let's really embrace that. Wherever we're at in our Christianity today or wanting to learn more about Christ, today can be that day that you stop running. God bless.